0: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, good afternoon, peace be upon you, and welcome to another episode of the Draft Time Show here on The Voice of Islam. On a Friday afternoon at the end of the week, as usual, with myself, Raza, Brother Kiyum and Brother Daniel, over the next two hours, we'll be with you speaking about two topics as usual. In the first half of the program, we're going to speak about housing shortage uh topic that we have discussed and addressed here on the Draft Time show multiple times, but unfortunately, it's it's an issue which is ongoing um, and uh, something that affects pretty well a lot of people here in the UK. So, what are the reasons? What are some of the solutions that we could possibly apply to see a betterment in this? Uh, that is all coming up in the first half of the program, and then in the second half of the program, we're going to speak about something quite interesting, and that is about popularity dynamics and how important is it to be likable. On that, we're asking you a question on our opinion poll on Instagram: How important is it to be a likable person? Is it extremely, quite important? Only if it suits you or not? At all, these other four options. But as always, you can give us a, you can send us a comment uh, and add anything additionally on that if you. <clears throat> feel like doing that. With that, um, before we get into the first topic, uh, we would like to address very briefly what is happening in the world at the moment. Since yesterday, we have seen the start of the proceedings at the ICJ, as well as the attacks on the Houthi rebels carried out by the UK, as well as the US. So on that, gentlemen, first of all, peace upon you to both of you. And, um, yeah, over to you.
1: Wa alaikum salam Peace be on you, too. Wa alaikum as-salam.
0: Lovely to be here. Peace be
2: on you and all the listeners.
1: <clears throat> yes, interesting points, uh, um, Brother Azza, you make about what is happening in and around the world. Um, I take my hat off to uh, South Africa all yeah. day long. Yeah. All 100%. day long. Yeah. Um, who have, uh, you know, walked the
2: talk. The moral courage. Yeah. The integrity. Uh, to uh, to do what we've all been asking for. Unfortunately, not very apparent within the Muslim world as well. Yes um they were they have been far uh, they they've been lagging far behind in mm. that something that they should have actually done so you know let's you know all cards on the table but absolutely hats off to south africa for bringing such a professional case in a, in a such a in such a professional so there was no drama yesterday mm. um facts. Uh, it was all facts it was all facts it was all case based it was all um um references to previous decisions of the court uh, there was There was absolutely no drama, and it was all about how, what is it and it, it was you know they were also very specific. they said that the merits of the case we understand will take some time some you know it takes years we all know mm. uh, for international Court of Justice to come up with the with a final decision of whether this will be, this is being will be called out as genocide or not mm. what they so they were very specific in all the speeches that they made they were very specific they said what we 're looking for you from you right now is provisional measures mm. we want A decision of provisional measures, people are dying. People are dying of hunger. People are dying because of bombs. 1,000, 2,000 bombs being dropped every day. We want you to call for a ceasefire and we want a mechanism from you to hold Israel responsible and and ask Israeli government to report back to the court on a weekly basis. Hmm. So those were, you know, the sort of the, the upshot of what the request from South Africa yesterday was. But what a what a professionally, yeah. uh, <laughs> what a prof- professionally produced um, 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 argument. And, and, not yeah.
0: banking on, on sentiments and emotions. No. Not no. absolutely none of that. not.
2: And and you know, I thought they were also very very professional in the fact they you know they started off by saying that listen, what Hamas did was was not right. Hmm. Multiple uh, times. Absolutely. And, and we, you know, nobody, um, we condemn that and, and nobody in their right mind would say that the loss of any civilian life is, is a loss of life, whether Israeli, whether a Jewish life or a Muslim life. And they started off that, but they're saying that, you know, this particular, um, um, the argument that we're making, this particular case is about, about genocide, about holding Israel responsible for the reaction, whatever Hamas did. And we cannot hold Hamas responsible here because Hamas is not a state entity. As per the rules of engagement of the International Court of Justice, mm. they can only make a state responsible. It only a state can actually bring the argument to the can actually go to the International Court of Justice uh, and ask for a case to be instituted, which is which is why South Africa had to. And on the the other side, the um, uh, um, uh, the the other party also has to be a state. So that's why they also said that, listen, you know, we we cannot bring Hamas to the dock. But Israel is a state. Israel is a member of United Nations and therefore an automatically a member of um, and therefore comes under the the jurisdiction of International Court of Justice. So what we're asking you from you is provisional measures to hold Israel responsible for the response that they've acted So, whatever Hamas did uh, as um, inhumane as it might be. Nothing will ever. Um, nothing will make genocide right. Yeah. Mm. Nothing. Uh, there, there is nothing out there for a state to act a, in in a, in a manner which constitutes genocide as the as per the professional uh, as per the official definition of genocide is. So that so
1: that was the argument. Strategically, morally, ethically, the occupiers of Palestine have lost. That's just a fact. The occupiers of Palestine can do what they want, say what they want. They can have the West on their side, in in all aspects, strategically, ethically, morally. Hmm. Social media is winning the war Social over media is winning media. And, I, and I think within the West
2: also, you can you can see. Um, uh, Schisms develop, so yes. yeah. Spain is 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 definitely not uh, uh, on on this on the side of UK and US. Ireland, oh my God, Ireland is a different story from the start, from actually. the get go. Yeah, absolutely. Ireland is a is a, is a, is on a different level. I mean, same level as South do, Africa. Do you, you know say. why
1: Ireland supports Palestine? Yeah, so much.
2: But, but, you know, it's, it's the same reason as South Africa. So you know, they have been through that. They have they've suffered.
1: Yeah, it's 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 interesting that allegedly the the. the uh, the USA uh, approached South Africa before this case and threatened to withdraw funding mm. aid from mm. South Africa. Mm. And South Africa said, go for it. Mm. Allegedly, there's, there's there's a lot of reports going on that uh, because South Africa was taking this action. Um, and I, I was listening to this interview by a Jewish uh, member of the South African um, anti-apartheid, um, uh, uh, a party mm. who fought with Nelson Mandela mm. who said we know apartheid better than anyone because we went through it mm. and he says the apartheid suffered by the Palestinians by the occupiers is worse is worse mm. than the apartheid suffered in South Africa he goes because the Afrikaners needed the majority of the population for the for, for the economic growth of the country. You know there was, there was and, and Palestine people are not needed by the occupiers. There mm. was
2: similarly another interview that so I So it's more brutal. absolutely. The interview by none other than Nelson Nelson, Nelson Mandela. Mandela. Um and he was being interviewed and he was asked the question <clears throat> uh and you know he seemed to be in his prime at that time. Uh, um he um he was asked the question why are you, why do you support Palestine?
1: Mm. Yes. And he said,
2: and he said, and I'm paraphrasing this, I mean, he said, are you kidding me? You know, Palestine, um, the PLO was the only organization which was supporting us. When when yes, we were absolutely outlawed by the entire world, when they, we, we sent people representatives to the United Kingdom government, we sent people to, uh, to the, the American government and nobody listened to us. We sent them to PLO. PLO said, yes, absolutely. We understand. And now you're asking me, why do we support PLO?
1: He actually said Comrade Castro, Comrade Gaddafi and Comrade Arafat were the only people who physically gave us aid, mm. who helped us physically and walked the talk yeah. and then just give us sentiments. And recently, you know, I I heard this quote by saying the same people Mm. who applauded, who applauded the incarceration of Nelson Mandela, who were happy, Mm. who labelled him a terrorist. Two decades later, the same people were begging to queue up to meet with him as the hero.
2: Yeah,
1: Yeah? this is same here. And I'll finish off with, uh, you know, the words uh, from the, the, the pastor, the reverend. Oh, yeah. um, from from Bethlehem on Christmas Day. He goes, yeah. there is no Christmas here. He goes, but remember, Palestinians will recover. He goes, we will recover. He goes, but the oppressors, the occupiers, he says, I assure you, you will not recover. It will take time. And he goes, we will not forget and we will not forgive your hollow words when you change your tune. Yeah.
2: Let me quote, um, uh, quote him as well. So he actually um, also said, and I quote, I want you to look in the mirror and ask, where was I when Gaza was going through a genocide? Yeah.
0: I think this is a question that uh, when you look at some of the videos, when you look at some of the footage and reporting that is coming out of Gaza, the question that the people on the ground, be they from Gaza, be they Palestinians, be they reporters and rapporteurs who are on the ground there, they're asking this question to the world. What? Have you done? What is your responsibility? How much of that have you actually taken serious? And I think His Holiness Mizam Surah, the fifth Caliph of the Promised Messiah, has been saying this as well in his in his Friday sermons. The responsibility of the world community. Francesca Albanese, who is the special rapporteur on the occupied Palestinian territories, she tweeted out yesterday, I believe. That watching African women and men fighting to save humanity and the international legal system against the ruthless attacks supported or enabled by most of the West will remain one of the defining images of our time. This will make history whatever happens. And then very briefly before we continue, uh, move on to the first topic for today, what happened, the attacks led by the UK-US on the Houthi rebels. Gentlemen, it's not helping anyone, is it?
2: It's not. But... It's an escalation, and unfortunately, again, you know, this is what uh, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masood uh May Allah strengthen his hand, uh, and may Allah give all the leaders to heed the advice that he has mm. been actually giving for decades now. That this fire is only going to spread, and it's it's spreading. Um, Hezbollah is is escalating their attacks. The the, um, the, uh, the Hezbollah the, are defending the, themselves. The, exa- Absolutely. I mean, you know, you can you can you can debate that either way, but the, yeah. the point is, the it's getting worse. Yes. Uh, Israel is um, is is bombing Lebanon. Israel is bombing Syria. Uh, Hezbollah is now fully into it. Now the Houthis have been um, Houthis were in it. They were blocking the Red Sea, and now they uh, have been attacked as well. So you know, it, it's an escalation from all sides. It's it's not a happy scenario, and you know, one only hopes that people in 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 democratic um uh, mature democracies of the world would actually have better sense mm. than just to you know fly some planes just because
1: they could and bomb yeah but these. then do you see that the, the definition of democracy only applies the, the the so-called democracy the rules of democracy only apply to the west nation at the moment the whole world is watching um, they don't like the, the, the same rules being applied by other nations who look to defend themselves. Colonialism, imperialism, call it whatever you want to call it, whichever mm-hmm. ism it is. This is modern day colonialism rules that are being applied. Mm-hmm. It isn't double standards. It is, again, personal opinion. Had I be, had, had uh, there been uh, blonde haired, blue eyed uh, children who were dying around the world, there would be mayhem around this world. And this, the fact is that isn't the case. 30,000 plus people have died. Um, and... and, and you know, the the occupiers um, are are uh, it's what about tree when you talk about the death of 30,000 people. Yes. And suddenly, because a, a certain a handful of Yemenis, a handful of Yemenis have decided to take action against the occupiers from an economic point of view. And suddenly you have um, weapons and planes available. You have two and a half billion pounds available to 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 yeah. fight you it's, know this, it's uh, it's bizarre
2: you know this is also it, about it doesn't the,
1: make sense to me it's
2: also perhaps about the different standards not even double standards exactly. like the kind of discussion we're having it's before, racism before we I'm sorry to say before we w- went on live and and the reason i say that is that you know the uh, the argument that is often put forward by the us israel and the the uk is that uh this could be stopped tomorrow if hamas stops if Hamas lays down its arms, if Hamas gives up all the hostages, if Hamas gives up all its fighters, it could end tomorrow. Um, well, then why don't we apply the same argument? Because the Houthis are saying, hmm. you you declare a ceasefire and we'll stop this tomorrow. Exactly. exactly. The, the, the only reason they say that we are in it, we're blocking, is because you are continuing to fight, you're continuing to bomb their brethren in Palestine. They're saying, stop the bombing, declare a ceasefire, and we'll stop tonight.
1: Hmm. Agreed. I Zero think we two. need to move on. Yeah, but I just want to raise one question, Brother Raza. You you asked a, a valid question um, right at the end of the Friday sermon. His Holiness Hazrat Mirza the fifth Caliph of the Promised Messiah, may Allah strengthen his hand, referred to, uh, was talking about and paying tribute to the to the martyrs, the Ahmadi martyrs yes. in Gaza. And the question thought to myself, I, and and we thought the same thing when we discussed it, that when he talked about the, the, when the, the they found the body of the 75-year-old hmm. um, amongst the, the, the other dead bodies. And it was like, I, I, the, the question came to mind. They found him with a bullet in his head.
0: 100 meters away from, from his re- residence on a pile of...
1: You, you think, okay, the bombing, rubble, buildings falling, some people, die, people are dying, indiscriminate bombing of, these, uh, of the innocent uh, by the occupiers. Why the bullet? Hmm. It changes the narrative. It changes the narrative, and it reaffirms why ICJ is doing, why South Africa is taking against. It reaffirms the case that innocence is being martyred here, left, right, and center. And this is a time where you have to pick a choose. Silence makes you complicit. Yeah. Do not think that this had nothing to do with us, because if it had nothing to do with you, then the Yemenis wouldn't be bombed, because what the Yemenis are doing is affecting the bottom dollar mm. because you have to take the two-week extra trip which is costing money. Mm. When it hits you effectively on the pocket, you're willing to, to, uh, to release um, planes and bombs and money that you tell us when the nurses and doctors are asking for money, you say, we don't have a magic money tree. And suddenly, you manage to find all this money to, to fight wars, to spread war. It doesn't make sense. Two and a half billion pounds.
0: Now zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call. We will continue. We will move on to our first topic. But throughout the show, if you have anything to say on this, if you want to share your thoughts, your comments, then feel free to give us a call. You can also send us a tweet at Voice of Islam UK. Don't forget, we're also on Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, whatever you name social me. media you prefer. You can also send us an email. Now, our homes are fundamental to our health and well being. Everyone needs access to secure, decent and affordable housing. There's no doubt about that. Currently in the UK the supply the supply of housing has not been keeping up with demand and getting access to housing of any type is becoming increasingly difficult difficult for people, especially on low income households. Now compared to the average European country, Britain today has a backlog of 4.3 million homes that are missing from the national housing market as they were never built. Across England the average house costs more than 10 times the average salary, vacancy rates are below 1% and space for person for private renters has dropped substantially in recent decades. The housing deficit would take at least, people say, half a century to fill even if the government's current target to build 300,000 homes a year is reached. Tackling the problem sooner would require 442,000 homes per year over the next 25 years or 654,000 per year over the next decade in England alone. I wonder if £2.5 billion would help in that. National Housing Federation reports the lack of a long-term plan for housing has led to the housing crisis we are living through today in Britain. And these issues we face around housing are systematic, uh, systemic and if the government doesn't act soon, things will get worse for people living in England, Brother Kim, you think it's not a problem of shortage.
1: No, it's it not. Well, OK, shortage is the end result. It's about the desire, the will, the political um, uh, uh, desirability to, um, to, to build housing. It's about bringing empty properties into usage. How do I know this? I worked in housing, in, in different aspects of housing for 20 odd years, in affordable housing, in shared ownership, you name it. Whatever whatever you want to call, uh, um, you know, they, they keep changing names. I've worked in the system long enough to know that they bring back old policies that just change the name of it. Mm. Um, and, and they change the funding because of funding purposes. They call it new, bring it money in. The money goes to waste. Money goes to developers um, because they're supposed to g- give an allocation to social housing when they build massive developments. But they buy their ways out of it. You talked about 300,000 properties a year. In 30 years, there's only been 350,000 affordable housing that has been delivered. In 30 years. This isn't a Tory or a Labour thing. None of the mainstream parties have delivered on any of the pledges they made in their manifestos when it comes to affordable housing. There is more than 100,000 counts, supposedly, allegedly, there is more than 100,000 social housing sitting empty in this country. 100,000 units oh. sitting empty. Yeah. Because they say oh they don't meet standards. Well, you've got you got money to send to other countries, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you don't have enough money to um, uh, to to um, uh, bring the empty houses up to standard so you can house people. You have billions that you give to private sector landlords because you want their vote. So they can house on extortionate rents. Uh, the 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 people with who needs affordable housing, there is no cohesive thinking. Hmm. There are so many charities out there who are doing fantastic work. They need to be part and parcel of the deliverance of what the government is doing.
2: Let's speak to somebody who's also working in this area, uh, Eli Moody, who is the director of policy, campaigns, and communications at the Campaign to Protect Rural England, which is a countryside charity. As-salamu alaykum. peace be with you. A very warm welcome to The Drive Time Show.
3: Thanks for having me on.
2: Excellent to have you. Um, can you tell us, how has the campaign to protect rural England identified the key factors contributing to the current housing crisis in the UK?
3: Yeah, Sure. The Countryside Charity, we want to see a sustainable countryside that works for everyone and those that visit it and those who live live in it. And and that's why we care about rural affordable housing. And we've recently done some new analysis of government data about the rural affordability housing crisis. And the key things it showed, you know, echoing what what my fellow guests said, it'll take 89 years to clear the social housing waiting list backlog in rural areas at, at the current pace. And that's around 300,000 households. Um, We also found that rural homelessness has increased by 40% in the last five years. Um, And that that covers people who local authorities deem don't have a safe or permanent home. Um, And so this is a terrible state of affairs. And it's driving people who want to live in the countryside out of the countryside. Um, And you asked me about kind of what the factors contributing to it. And some of the things driving this. In rural areas, so there, are, there are just too few genuinely affordable homes being built. That's the first thing. Yep. Um, secondly, there's a, the lack of social housing being built within that to replace those taken out of the system by the right to buy. Um, in rural areas, the, you know this this um, increase in short-term lets situation has, is having a particularly difficult impact in really high tourism areas. Um, but we've had seen a tenfold increase, thousand percent across increase nationally um in since 2015 is short-term let and also a, a large increase in the number of second homes so that's putting a lot of pressure on an already pressurized system in in the in rural areas and, and and i guess the last thing to throw in the mix is that house prices on average in in, in the countryside are higher than elsewhere in the country and um, wages are a bit lower than elsewhere in the country so we've got that you were saying at the beginning about the house price ratio the average house price is 16 times the average income in rural areas so it you know it, it, it's, it echoes everywhere else in the country and, the, and rural areas have particular challenges too.
1: Ellie you, you mentioned right to buy um, I know we always say right to buy is a problem but I, and I agree to a certain degree. My, my issue with right to buy has always been that when people do the right to buy, they then remortgage and move on to another property, and they retain that property. Right to buy can work if people who buy these properties are not allowed to buy other units without either returning the money or the property back to where they got it from. They could be. They could put so many restrictions, and and they could put clauses in property where that property, which was initially given for someone to house permanently and they own, but there could be uh, uh, clauses or or conditions that are put in that property, that that property, if was ever rented again, will only be ever given to social housing. Is that something that, and consecutive governments have never really, truly tackled the the, the right to buy um, um, issue. Um, in in a in a meaningful manner.
3: Mm. It, you know, governments will have have their 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 ways of looking at um, but, because
1: ownership. it's a vote winner, isn't it? I mean, end of the day, they, they, they that's how they you, that's how you acquire your vote bank.
3: You know, I think the, the governments have have their view on on home ownership and and consecutive governments have wanted to increase home ownership and so, uh, so given that it's important to build more social Housing so that so that there's not a net decrease essentially, and so we we're concerned that there's not enough social housing being built, and that there there isn't really a target for that for in the house building sector at at the moment we'd what, like to see what's more the solution of it. what what do you
1: what, what would you feel the solution would be to to tackle this in a meaningful manner
3: yeah well, a key thing we're calling for the government to do at the moment is to redefine what affordable means yes because currently the, you know the affordable is pegged to market value and, and market rent yeah. and that's just not affordable for many many people and so we're asking that to be looked at and redefined so that it be pegged to local incomes and and ideally not more than 35 percent of average local income should be spent on housing we'd think um yeah and and as i said we we just want more genuinely affordable homes to be built so tackle what affordable means and then build more of those um and we also think that a, a register that, that's been announced but, but not implemented on second home and short term let's register would really help with local authorities managing their local housing needs better.
1: Wouldn't, a lot of local authorities have developed the Article 4 to stop a lot of HMOs developing. Is that something that is, that is assisting um, with, with, the, the, um, with, with dealing with um, uh, a housing shortage? An article four. Article four is is uh, you know that uh, um, if if you want to have uh, certain properties which are short term lets, then there is a very very stringent and very expensive. Uh, um, uh, I've lost the word process. Process. You have to go through, and the property needs to meet certain standards, uh, and a lot of uh, and that kind of. Uh, nullifies uh, the the profit element for a landlord. You so, have to show your age somewhere in the programme every week, don't you?
0: <laughs> He's getting there. Okay. He's okay. getting there. Yeah, Sorry to interrupt.
2: Yeah, it's my, my, my age always <laughs> Ellie, becomes an issue for, for, my, for, my, for, my, for,
1: for my fellow <laughs> don't, presenters. Don't, don't I apologise.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we, think, we think the short term particularly, this register will will, su- will support um, local authorities to, to, to licence in accordance with their local needs, so it would be each local authority assessing, you know, the, the needing in their area. So there will be more or, or less, or few, you know, fewer HMOs in different areas. So it, it's about um, local authorities being able to to tax and and to have, to have more powers. Do they have the desire? Is there a political will to do this? Overall, you know, this is I think the key challenge with the affordability crisis in housing that we want to see political will um it, key in rural areas is um to build the right homes in the in the right places and to do that we need to make sure that everybody's moving in the same direction um, w- one of the key ways that we, we can do that is is to make sure that when houses are built they are being built so they're affordable but also looking at alternatives um to where they're built, so that the sites that have already been used, brownfield land, and, and we're reusing land that's already been developed first before we're looking elsewhere in rural areas, and that would help make sure that the houses, houses are in the right places with the infrastructure that we need, but but also that um, with changes that they're also genuinely affordable. But Ellie,
1: do you not think that un, un, until they take away? Uh... Or until they give the right back to local authorities to build, if they expect developers to provide social housing, the profit element will always be there, be it smaller percentage. But of course, there's a profit element there. I mean, shouldn't social housing be built on the basis that your profit is the service that you're providing to the resident? Um, Private developers will um, always have a profit element. So aren't we kind of shooting ourselves in the foot here by saying affordable yet still giving the right to the developer to give us social housing? Shouldn't it come back in-house?
3: We think we need a, we need a mix. And so affordable currently means different things, doesn't it? And, and there are different categories in there. And, and what what we'd say is we want to really dial up that that mix of that the really genuinely affordable homes. So, uh, you know, what you're saying chimes that we need more socially rented homes to to be available and the government needs to look really hard about how they're going to to make that happen and uh, you know there's a huge there's a huge need And what we'd like to see is uh, uh, reforms and government looking at this in a really clear-sighted way. And for rural areas particularly, a key thing that that we'd like to see is that the government, when they're thinking about housing, thinking about the other multiple demands in rural areas and on the countryside as well, because we're asking a lot of our countryside, and of course we do need to build more affordable homes, that's given. But we also need to think about the nature recovery and our food security, how we're moving to um, a, a net zero energy system... Um, you know, and all these demands are adding up. And we also want to keep a countryside next door for everybody who lives near the countryside so that we get the well-being benefits of the countryside. Mm. And overall, we need to join the dots and make sure that when we're thinking about building a lot more affordable homes, we're just doing it in a really joined up way. And, and a lot of the, the solution, as you're as you intimating, is building really affordable homes. But yes. the, there, are, there is a lot to think about um, in how and where. Because the the reason
1: I say that is because when I look at even in the local area to where we are, I look at uh, a new development, one bedroom, they call it affordable housing. And then they say two hundred and ninety nine thousand for a one bedroom flat, which has got an open plan kitchen lounge uh, and a and a room which can just about, uh, you know, accommodate a, a double bed. But it's a double bedroom. But then I say two hundred and ninety nine thousand pounds. How many people considering that the average age, the average wage for a Londoner is thirty two thousand pounds? How is a person earning £32,000, how is it affordable for them to get a one-bedroom flat, which is nearly mm. 10 times their income, but this yeah. is, but it's being sold as affordable housing?
3: That's that's right, and I think the affordability de- definition needs to, to, to change, change. that's what we're yeah, calling yes. for, <clears throat> so definitely. that it can yeah. change, so that it's really pegged to average incomes in lo- in local areas yeah, and that yeah. the average income just changes you said it's different in london to to in, in other areas and that's what's absolutely critical the affordability is it is it, it, affordability is linked to what people get in their bank account every month <laughs> and that differs across the country yeah. yes so fully agree <laughs> um
0: ellie you mentioned local um communities you mentioned local authorities how much are you actually involved in shaping housing policies
3: we we work at a national level, seeking to influence government change and of um, the planning um, regime, and we've got a network of 41 organisations, local groups across the country who um, get involved in in the countryside. Um, issues locally hmm. and and so our, our key focus at the moment on rural affordable housing is the set of us that we want the government to do and, and we think they're feasible and we'd like this current government to really look closely at what they can change rapidly and of course w- w- we're in a general election year and, and we want all parties to be thinking about how what they would do um, in the next government um, to really really accelerate um, change in the affordable housing space.
0: Director of Policy Campaigns and Communications at Campaign to Protect Rural England, uh, Ellie Moody, with us on the line. Thank you so much for your time, Ellie. Great to have you on. Peace be upon you, and have a great evening ahead. Thank you so much once again.
3: Thank you so much. Bye.
0: Peace be upon you. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call. Don't forget, we're asking you a question on our opinion poll on Instagram. So go to our Instagram story. How important is it to be a likable? Person. There's four options that we have given you, but of course, as always, if you want to add anything on that, do leave us a comment.
1: <clears throat> you know, affordable housing, um, Ellie, so right. It's it's a joke. Um, the the definition, the the working definition, the practical definition in uh, in in, in the social housing. It's it's a, I mean, I, please forgive me when I use this word. It's a scam, if if one was to look at it because it's not affordable. Hmm. To say something is affordable. And then they then they sell things like shared ownership. Shared ownership is when you buy 50% of the property and the 50% that you don't buy, you pay rent on it, and then you pay service charges on it. But if you were to buy the property 100%, your total cost would be a hell of a lot less hmm. than, than the rent, the mortgage, and the service charge you pay on it. But but they, they 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 trap people into these schemes and then when when and then when when people question them uh, you know they they come out with all these uh, you know fancy adverts and and uh, and titles and they entice people with um with with the you know we will give you a dishwasher with it we will we will put the white goods in and what they don't realize is that and again, it's also the fault of the people who fall into this. Um, they do not, people need to do research. It is not the responsibility of the seller to tell you anything. Mm. It is the responsibility of the purchaser to know, especially in the world we live in, make sure you do your due diligence. And and sometimes I find it strange that when I say to people, when people say, what's due diligence? I say, look, make sure you have... Um, Found out, done research, spent time on looking at what you are buying, what you are getting yourself in for. This is not a 25 day uh, agreement that you're yeah. signing, it's for 25 years. years. Yeah. It's what the most expensive, uh, li- you know, liability or that you will take on um, in your life, probably. The one of the most important decisions you will make. make Uh, in your life. So be very, very careful. Uh, Don't fall into the trap of affordability or fantastic wooden flooring or you get a fully fitted kitchen because it's not being given to you for free, you're paying for it. (laughs) (laughs) They will make it sound like that. Oh, it's inclusive. It's inclusive in the property, uh, in, in the sale of the property. Well, Listen, it, it was inclusive in the first place. They just never told you. So, so be careful in what you are signing yourself up for.
0: In their 2019 election manifestos, all the main political parties included commitments to increase housing supply in England. The Conservative manifesto pledged to continue to increase the number of homes being built, as referred to a need, to rebalance the housing market towards more home ownership. It said progress towards the target of 300,000 homes per year by the mid-2020s, would continue, which would see us build at least a million more homes, all of 10 years over the next parliament. However, recently, Michael Gove, Secretary of State at the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities, has admitted that Britain's housing crisis is even worse than widely believed. The Leveling Up Secretary suggested that the UK does not have enough homes to cope with record high net migration levels. Net migration levels?
1: You see that there's there's another myth. Mm. Oh migrants. Mm. And again, this is this mm. is this is like a, a uh um, um, eh? um this is this is something that uh, the government uses. Consecutive government use when they failed in delivering their manifestos, guess whose fault it is? <laughs> it's the migrants' fault. <laughs> you know? It's, it's always the migrants'. Why won't, always why the migrants streets streets fault. why weren't the streets sweeped? It's the migrants' fault. Mm-hmm. Why why isn't there food in the in the in the shelves? It's the migrants' fault. Why didn't you get the council house? It's the migrants' fault. Why can't you get a job? It's the migrants' fault. Is there anything left that the government uh, hasn't blamed the migrants for? We'll find out. Nosha Khan is our
0: next guest for today. She's the Director of Policy and Communications at St. Mangus, where, she lead, lead, um, uh, where she leads vital work to influence policy change and raise awareness of homelessness. Good afternoon. Assalamu Alaikum, Peace upon you and welcome to The Draft Time Show.
4: Welcome, Asalaamu Thank you for having me on the show.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, as a representative of St. Mungo's, how do you perceive the connection between homelessness and the broader housing crisis in the UK, something that we've been speaking about?
4: Well, it's absolutely interconnected. I mean, homelessness, and, and let's be clear, homelessness has many definitions. You have People who are sleeping rough on the streets, which I'm sure is what most people think about when they think about homelessness. Mm. And there's lots of complex reasons why people might end up on the street. And um, I could talk in detail about that, but it's often interconnected with mental health issues, um, as well as you know access to services. It's very broad, very complex, um, and an area that the government certainly needs to look at. But homelessness, more generally, um, also applies to those people who are just in insecure housing um, or end up in temporary accommodation, and we're seeing that increase significantly certainly in recent months because the wider housing crisis having that impact so particularly in the private rented sector where people are seeing their rents go up and um, the cost of living crisis is continuing and they can no longer afford those homes then they are finding themselves pushed out of um the property that they perhaps have lived in for many years and having to you know look elsewhere and often these are people with families and children and um Local authorities are having to look at where they can house them, and often they end up in temporary accommodation, um, which is not necessarily a sustainable house of your head. And then there's that border pressure around the lack of social housing as well in our market, which has been a problem for, for many years now, um, that is creating this almost imperfect storm um, where all of it is interconnected and, and increasing the levels of homelessness and rough sleeping that we see.
1: Uh, if I may, um we talked earlier with our previous guest about you know, having to redefine the definition of affordable. Um, In this case, I've worked in homelessness. I've got experience of working in homelessness, in temporary accommodation decades ago. Um, The definition of homelessness needs to change and be more precise, doesn't it? I mean, we talk about people on the streets, whereas the legal definition is they're referred to as rough sleepers, whereas they're the true homeless in real terms. And over COVID, we found out that how quickly the rough sleepers can be housed in a matter of weeks to because it suited the narrative was there. COVID was a international uh, catastrophe and and everybody had to be made safe. And the government was able to um, to 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 clear the streets from rough sleeping. Then, as you say, people in inadequate accommodation or temporary accommodation, it's a temporary accommodation is normally a minimum between, depending on which local authority. I mean, I know in, years ago in Newham, it used to be in minimum five years and it could mean up to 15 years in temporary accommodation.
4: It varies, it varies regionally. And it varies so, from
1: council yeah, to council. But that's does, not yeah. temporary, is it?
4: Well, no, not necessarily. But also, that's not what we're talking about here. And I think we have to be really careful because I completely agree around looking at the definitions around affordable housing, particularly how we take social housing out of that mix. I'm not sure it applies in the same way to when we're dealing with homelessness because rough sleeping is of course the most extreme measure of that and that is something that st mongos we are dealing with on a daily basis we see the impacts of rough sleeping on people's lives it can be life-threatening spending your time on the streets and that's why there's been the necessity to have initiatives from government um and everybody in as you talked about during covid was a real sign about how we can start tackling some of these issues
1: exactly when
4: it comes to temporary accommodation firstly it very much varies between region to region so you've talked about new and there five to fifteen years in some places it can be from six to three years it very varies you're right it sometimes can be longer term however what we're seeing at the moment is local authorities who are really struggling to place people having to put people in bedsits in hotels And actually, yes, those, you know, of course, that's nowhere near as extreme as having to sleep rough on the streets, which is immediate. You know, is something we need to be tackling as a serious emergency. However, when you have families and children who have been who might have been going to school in one part of the borough, moved into a hotel overnight, then moved to another place of temporary accommodation for a short term, then perhaps eventually finding a home that is incredibly difficult for families. It has huge impacts on people's um, uh, learnings uh, and how they engage. And it has mental health issues as well. So actually, it does count as homelessness. The other side of this is sofa sleeping, surfing, where people... What, the hidden houses? Exactly, the hidden homelessness, where people are sleeping on their friend's sofas because they don't have a roof over their head. They're not on the street. They're not rough sleeping. But they don't actually have a permanent home to call their own. And they're at that risk of facing... Um, you know, either ending up on the streets, or and they're just at the cusp of that, or they're in a really challenging situation. So I think you're right to p- unpick what homelessness means, but I don't think we should underestimate the impact. Generally, not having a secure roof over your head. I, I agree people.
1: with you. My my only issue is that to call all of them homeless. I think they should be categorised, or, or they should use different words, because then the the people who are um, homeless, from a as you so rightly described, from a severity perspective. Um, people can be um, put into like homelessness class A, class B, class C, or whatever you want to call it. You want to differentiate the level of severity in respect of homelessness. Because but we do, uh, do that. Sorry.
4: That, that does happen, and and uh, as I say at St. Mungo's, we deal with rough sleepers who are often facing some of the most extreme severities of homelessness, and and that is our priority and something that we are trying to you know we are seeing a significant increase in and we see the huge challenges that go with that and we are looking ahead of a general election to see and ensure that future governments um, and the current government actually take that seriously.
1: Now section 21 has been a a talk of town for the past uh, nearly over a year now with the new paper that uh, the government has released. The, The government is kind of walking back on a lot of the stuff that they, especially Michael Gove said, um, with with the with the housing reforms, how does that affect um, homelessness in real terms?
4: So, Section Twenty One for a long time is a campaign that we've run at St. Mungo's because we recognise um, the huge challenge this presents to people because. You can for uh, section twenty one for clarity is a no fault eviction. Mm-hmm. So you, through no fault of your own, you could lose that roof over your head. So you you know, you could have been the best tenant, you could have paid your rent on time every month, and your landlord does not have to give you any reason why, but can hand you a section twenty-one notice which tells you that you will lose your property in your house. And in the current market, um we've talked a little bit about the challenges that we're seeing, particularly in the private rented sector. For some people, it's almost an impossible task to find an alternative. So for a long time, alongside other organisations, at Mungo's, we've been campaigning to get rid of Section 21 and we're really pleased to see it as part of the Renters' Reform Bill, um, a, a big piece of legislation which is currently still going through the parliamentary process, which would end section 21 but also tackle some of the wider challenges we see in the private rented sector but sadly the government have been delaying on that they do have concerns about section 21 particularly and in terms of what that means for landlords and you know that for us is something that shouldn't be debated and they've suggested that now section 21 at the end of section 21 should only come when the backlogging the courts has ended which could leave people waiting a really long time and in the current housing crisis that can be really damaging
1: a question comes to mind, though, that from from Senmunga's point of view, if Section Twenty One um, is uh, is abolished, um, and where landlords aren't able to uh, to, to issue a Section Twenty One in a private sector, which um, local authorities at the moment rely on the private sector to uh, to make up the, the shortage of housing. And the market clearly shows that a lot of landlords in the past year are starting to dispose of properties because of the extra regulations that are coming in. Are, are we, is, is, is this not shooting oneself in the foot by reduction in that stock of housing um, from landlords who are willing to give their properties to social housing?
4: there are lots of complexities in this and you're absolutely right to point out that landlords are leading the market there have been a number of regulations that have come through recently through government which are not necessarily to do with renters rights but Mm -hmm. our tenants rights but are to do with the wider kinds of um processes around safety and so on and regulatory change, which has had an impact. I think it would also be remiss not to mention the fact that inflation and um, the current interest rates are also causing landlords to take different decisions about what they do with their property. So, yes, there is a problem. I think we have to be really careful, though, about ensuring that we don't sort of, because there is a there is a short to medium term problem with the number of landlords in the private rented sector saying that we don't want to be pushing forward with necessary reform. Because for a long, long time, renters' rights in this country haven't been looked at. Um, because for such a long time, people sort of there weren't as many people renting as perhaps we see in other places, and we were heavily weighted towards home ownership. When that's now changed over the years, that has that kind of position has changed, and more and more people are renting. So we do need the legislation to catch up with the the reality of people's lives we also see people living in quite appalling conditions in in some of their rental properties and there has to be some form of regulation that allows that to be addressed and equally we've got to ensure that tenants have some rights when it comes to eviction let's not forget that section 21 is no fault eviction mm-hmm. it's not if you've not if you've if you've fallen behind on your on your rent or you're a bad tenant it's not for those reasons there is other legislation that allows landlords to be able to evict on those grounds so Yes, I completely understand what you're saying, but I think we've got to be so careful um, and we've got to get the balance right, but we have to be careful about not holding back desperately needed legislation because of some of the challenges that we're currently seeing in the market.
1: Would you agree with what uh, the Scottish government has done in certain at certain times and introduced uh, um, controlled rents?
4: So I think this is something that is still being reviewed and looked at. There is definitely a case to look at what happened when rent controls are in place. But the Scottish Government are using that uh, are an interesting test case so it will be helpful to see how things play out over the next few years. I know it's something that the Mayor of London is also keen to look at. Um, there is absolutely space um, in the market to look at rent controls, but I think anything like that has to be looked at very carefully before it's implemented, because it can, as you mentioned there, with Section 21, have impacts that we might not understand or know that could cause further problems.
1: Realistically, um for the past, I would say, three decades, consecutive governments haven't really, in real terms, have the will or the desire to deal with homelessness in a in a in a meaningful manner. What what makes you think things will change now, or do you think that um, um, that that maybe the current the coming government will 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 look at things differently?
4: Well, first of all, I think it's helpful to to note that. Um, We are in an unprecedented, you know, we are seeing levels of homelessness in the way that we've not seen for for many years in this country. Mm -hmm. And there was a point when it had almost been eradicated um, within the UK. Obviously, it's very difficult to completely never have any type of rough sleeping or homelessness. But it was certainly what we've seen in recent years is it's been on the increase. And I think that's the challenge that we've got for government um, is things are changing they're moving in the wrong direction so something is going wrong here and how can we address that i don't know what any future government is going to look like because that is something that will be a test for the electorate and i think you know we don't at st Mungo's. we're not making any presumptions about who might be in charge in the future of the country but what we're hoping for is that any future government takes this seriously makes it a priority and also looks at it from a more holistic level so Homelessness isn't just about not having a roof over your head, although that is fundamental. It's also about that wider issue around the health impacts, about what happens to people's mental health. And we need any future government to recognise and see that and start to look at more strategically how, not only how do we deal with the kind of end issues that people might face if they're rough sleeping or they're homeless, but also how do we prevent it from happening in the first place. So it's very difficult for me. You know, I'm hopeful that... Whoever is in charge in the future will will do that. Um, but at the moment, things are moving in the wrong direction, and what we really desperately need is for that to stop.
1: Wonderful, Mr. Shabakhan. Thank you so much for taking time out and and uh, shedding some light on this topic uh, on the Drive Time Show. I wish you a fantastic evening ahead. May peace be with you. Assalamualaikum. Thank you.
0: Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is a number for you to call if you want to have your say, if you want to contribute to this show, as well as the next topic that we are going to be talking about, which is about popularity dynamics. We're asking a question on Instagram: How important is it to be a likable person? Extremely, quite important. Only if it suits you, or not at all.
1: Housing is a human right. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, everybody, yeah. especially. If we talk about it from the fact that we are in the fifth or the sixth or the seventh, depending on who you talk to and whose whose facts you look at, uh, at the one of the largest economies in the world, we are a rich country. Um, I I always find it um, interesting that we've got such fantastic people um, in this country who run um, amazing, amazing um, uh, non government organisations or charitable organisations where they're willing to give time and they spent effort in uh, finding solutions for uh, things like homelessness. Finland is one country who have actually achieved that. Um, But what they did was they didn't just throw money at the solution. What they did was they got landlords, they got local government, they got the people who are actually homeless. Um, Every entity that was relevant to the equation of homelessness, they got them under one roof and they sat down and they found a cohesive and a joint solution to the problem they took time they got mental health into the uh, um, you know into the equation they looked at all aspects of homelessness and they jointly came to a solution and they were able to deal with homelessness in an effective manner the problem in the country that we're living in there is no cohesive thinking um um, yeah, it's like th- th- we, we we are so stuck yeah. in the, the the wrong definitions of a correct word, if I can say that. That mm. home, if I was to say to both of you gentlemen, this person is homeless, you would think they don't have a home, rough sleeper. Yeah, yeah. But then that's not the case. There needs to be the, the wor- wording needs to be very clear, um, and governments need to take action um, in a collective manner. Um, and they need to 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 show political will, because until there is political will uh, to resolve this and until the desire uh, in- means that they need to include all the relevant parties, we will be sitting here in 10 years uh, time again and talking about the same thing. As I said, this isn't something new. This has been going on for decades. Yeah.
0: So it's not just a matter of building more homes, it's a matter of building affordable homes. But then again, the question of what affordable, what does affordable mean? What's the definition of affordable? That's also a separate discussion. Many households who have both working partners, unfortunately, are struggling to find affordable homes as the mortgage rates are at an all-time high. The consequences will be quite severe for those on low incomes who are already struggling to afford private rents and Cannot access social housing for the reasons that we've mentioned, and the future rent rises will force more of these families into overcrowded conditions, increase levels of poverty and debt, and put many at risk of homelessness and and these overcrowding crowding and, and homelessness among children in England is already at record levels, so the government needs to unfreeze local housing allowance rates and will also ensure that the basic rates of, of benefit is, is, benefits is, is enough to cover life's essentials and never falls below. Again, as we've mentioned, it's not a problem that has started uh, this year or last year or because of COVID. It's been an ongoing, ongoing issue for the last three decades. And of course, a solution will not happen overnight.
1: Can I just uh, uh, quash a myth as well? Sure. That new migrants are jumping the queue for housing executive <laughs> homes. The truth is allocation policies do not discriminate on but grounds it's the migrants. of race or ethnicity. All applicants for social housing complete exactly the same application form, fill in the same application form, and they submit the same application form. And the needs are assessed based on published points, which are based on your housing allocation selection scheme provided by the local authority. It is not the fault of the migrants. They do not get priority um, on, on housing over you. The government is using them as a scapegoat to get away from you finding out the truth. Does it depend where the migrant come from? No.
0: Okay. You're listening to The Draft Time Show here on The Voice of Islam today with myself, Raza, Brother Keeam, and Brother Daniel. We're going to move to the 5 o'clock news and then we'll be back after that speaking about likability and how important it is to be liked. Bah- <speaking in foreign language> the latest news... Views, discussions, and insights into Islam's perspective on the world today. Join us live throughout the week on the Breakfast and Drive Time shows. Asalaamu Alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome back to the Breakfast Show. Asalaamu Alaikum, peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome to another edition of the Drive Time Show. Asalaamu Alaikum, hello, and welcome
1: to the Voice of Islam Living History Program.
4: Hello. And welcome to another edition of Book Corner, where we delve into the wonderful world of literature and explore all its incredible facets.
3: Join us on Voice of Islam throughout the week for a wide range of programs for you to enjoy.
0: Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome back to the Draft Tom Show here on the Voice of Islam today with myself, Brother Kiyum, and Brother Daniel in the next half of the program we're going to speak about popularity dynamics and how important is it to be likable to what extent is popularity linked with a person's qualities according to researchers being a popular and likable person depends on certain traits what those traits are we're definitely going to go into that and while some are established others can vary depending on which groups you're part of and the various expectations that are attached to you as a result but in general terms What are the qualities which make us more admired? The Holy Quran declares the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to be a role model, to be the best in morals. As it says in chapter 33, verse 22, Verily, you have in the Prophet of Allah an excellent model. And in other places in the Holy Quran, you also find verses that speak about the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, as a mercy for mankind, as someone that if you want to, Look up to someone, you should look up to the prophet. In chapter 68 verse 5 it says, And thou dost surely possess high moral excellences. So we're going to go to um, delve into this topic to see and to find out how important is it to be likable. And maybe also what we can do to make sure that the people around us do consider us to be likable.
2: Can I ask a question, start off maybe by asking a question to um, our fellow panelist
1: here, um Brother Kiyom. How did I know that that question was going to be directed at me? It's like, you know, I, I, I knew, I saw it, I felt it. I felt it coming, you know, it's like...
2: Yeah, so my, my question, my simple question is, I, do you worry about popularity at your age? I mean, no. I just wanted to... My age? Like, I, I, you know, is it a concern <laughs> oh. even at your age? I was. I just wanted it's, to it's,
1: know. No, not really. It's yeah. never been. Because, I, you is, know, it's, I,
2: I it's, want to know what I would be like in 20, 30 years' time. Okay, so. well, actually,
1: <laughs> <laughs> let, let me clarify for the, for the benefit of the listener. You're only a few you are a couple of years younger than me okay but the, so it the, doesn't matter at your age is what you saying? well no let me answer that properly yeah. it's it's your age of people who have insecurities about likability <laughs> it's your it's your generation of people who created this my generation of people have never really cared about likability uh, we we've never really had it as a, yeah. a as a, nobody a, liked you anyway yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and people, no but that's the point the The issue has been all it's he, been very marmite. Yeah. it's yeah, either, you, it's either as, you like it or you, or you or
2: you or you love it. Brother Kim grew up as a pariah uh. and he's he's uh, he's used to being a pariah, <laughs> so that, doesn't matter with, without a
1: shadow of a doubt. Yes, it's a, the question today's generation should be asking is about confidence, it's, n- yeah. it's not. And unfortunately, the 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 likable issue, uh, I mean, you know, we're asking a, an Instagram question and already we've got some. Uh, you know, the question is: How important is it to be a likable person? An extremely twenty-one percent, quite important forty-two percent, only if it suits you fifteen percent, not at all twenty-one percent. I think the not at all uh, are very secure and confident people because it's not about um, being likable and how many and to and let's let's clarify here as well. Mm. It's the Facebook it's the thumbs up
2: yeah, exactly that yeah, yeah, that's
1: where the problem has started so
2: which actually brings me to my to my next question which is mm. a serious one and, and it's it's to both of you what is preferable is is be is being authentic preferable or should one so should one aim I mean for, for any younger listener listening in should you aim to be
1: authentic or should you aim to be likable no authentic without a shadow of a doubt because authentic would mean that you're true to yourself, and you are portraying yourself in. And, and again, even authentic can be broken down into your authenticity should be of good character. It's about being a good human being. That that's your own personal development, right? Yes. So, so you should invest
2: in yourself and be. One hundred percent. The question really is: I mean, you, should you should you live a life of pretense? Or should you be authentic? I, I, well yeah. look,
1: a life of pretence will take you how far? Hmm. I mean you work you're, you're a professional in the field where I know you are a coach, you do coaching and, and person development is 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 a key part of of how you train people. and I'm sure a, a lot of people ask that question hmm. that you know should we fake it till we make it hmm. as what they're taught nowadays yeah, absolutely. and 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 of course, the answer is no. Hmm. I mean, how long will that <laughs> carry you for? Correct. And and how, how long before you start believing the lie about yourself? Mm-hmm. And sometimes when that lie comes and slaps you in the face, you think, oh, my God. But let me put that back to you. So a lot of people would counter that
2: these days, mm-hmm. especially youngsters in their 20s and even 30s, would say that. You know, it's all, I'm going to stay in this job for only two, three years. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, long term doesn't matter. So I'm just going to look at the short term. I'm just going to, you know, uh, bide my time and not bide my time here. Just be pretentious and try to be somebody I'm not and try to make success
1: and move on. And, you know, three in three years time, I'll be somewhere else and doing something else. But then being likable or pretending to be likable becomes a habit. And you continuously start lying to yourself, irrespective of what job you're in or where you're staying. And it becomes a bad habit. And then that bad habit starts to creep in to your character. And then that bad habit that you're applying at work be starts becoming relevant in your personal life, mm. in your, with your partner, with your parents, with your siblings, with your children, in the community you live in. It starts becoming... You become this person who you're pretending to be. Mm. And that's where the problem lies. And people need to... How many times do we say, hey, these people need to start looking at it a broader picture. People need to start thinking long term. People need to start thinking is these kind of pretense is what develops into a mental health
2: problem. Yeah, absolutely. I was about to say that. Thank you. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, as, as part of uh, personal development, so there, there are lots of psychometric profiles that, uh, that are done these days. One of them is called DISC report. So yeah. DISC is really something which breaks down a personality into four different types of personalities, D, I, S, and C. So without going into much detail, so a, a D is somebody who has a dominant personality versus I is somebody who leads by influence. And um, if you're trying to be an influential person, whereas you're naturally a dominant person, and you're trying to pretend to be that in, in a workplace environment, it messes with your brain. Mm. So while, yes, it's, it's one thing to continue to improve yourself and try to be some... You're aspiring to be somebody um, uh, or like somebody, but if you're trying to be a different person... Then you are, uh, there is a lot of research uh, to suggest that it, it, that messes with your brain because you're a different person and you know, from, from eight to hmm. six, you're trying to be somebody else. Yeah. And over a period of
1: time, then that affects your mental health. And, and also, nowadays, it's about people start to own somebody else's problem. So if Mr. A doesn't like Mr. B, hmm. B's, what, B's bothered Why doesn't A like me? Well, it's Mr. A's problem. If he doesn't like you, ignore it. But no, what happens in today's society, it's they take on this issue that there must be something wrong with me if A doesn't like me. And then they build in that insecurity, anxiety. How many times have we heard the words stress, anxiety, Mm. insecurity, then turns into depression? How many shows have we done here? how how people are affected by by these symptoms. But the problem is then, you know, social media accentuates
2: all of that. Of course because, it does. Because which social media is all about... Which is the, is which is the about,
1: negative side of what it, we are talking about. It's
2: all about likes. Yes. You know, you, you, you put up a post and then you're waiting for, you know, how many likes and how many people are liking it and how many people are loving it and how many people are commenting yeah. on it. So it's, uh, it, unfortunately it's all backwards at the moment. It is.
1: And, and But but as much as we, we we are, sometimes we make fun of it, but what i'm finding is it's actually becoming a, a generational problem to a degree that it's affecting it's breaking uh, um it's breaking a society down from um and where we're creating a whole generation of 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 illnesses that don't need to be there diseases that don't need, don't need to be there um, mental new mental health issues New paradigms of mental health are being created because a person is um, deemed not to be likable because well I mean I mean we, we all have children so it's a question of if you don't follow the norm you're not liked mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the norm might be very moral and ethical but because you don't because you don't fit in to a certain equation they're not going to be like. The cancel culture. What's cancel culture all about? We're living in a culture. Look, look at today. People like me, you, and brother Raz are going to be canceled because guess what? We're pro-Palestine. We society we live in? In in the governments that are ruling the, in the West. If we speak for Palestine, we are anti-Semitic. Yeah. If we um, and 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 if we ask the occupier to mm. condemn the killing of of thousands of people. Yeah. We, we we are being anti- we are being labeled hmm. we can't speak up for the oppressed and we can't talk down the oppressor because we'll be labeled the same either way so they're sh- they're, they're, they're like well you're not likable so you're going to be cancelled
2: yeah I that's g- the society we're living in unfortunately so yeah but I, I would just say that you know I think we're we're more pro justice than pro this or pro that. I think what we what we really the argument we're trying to make um, with anything that we're trying to do with our with our outlook and especially mm. how we being we're trained by uh, by our uh, by our leaders, our caliphs over the last century, um, and our current leader Hazrat Mirza Basud Ahmed uh, may Allah strengthen his hand, is is to always be on the side of
1: justice. See, you've hit the nail on the head. It's the absence of faith where things have started to go wrong. If you look at societies, even let's look at home, let's look at here. Mm. I think after the pandemic, there were some surveys done where uh, I think now only 28 to 30% of the people actually believe in God. If one was to look at parallel um, as to what people have started to believe and and how societies have started to um, break down, the less you believe in God and the less presence of faith and God is there, the more regress, regressive the society mm. becomes, uh, the the definition of morals and, that, I, and ethics have have kind of evaporated. And unfortunately, that's a trend. Yes, and that's supposed to be in.
2: Yeah, uh, and that's supposed to, and that is what you're supposed to do to be
1: part of the herd. Well, if you believe in God, you're not likable. <laughs> oh, they'll be labeled. you you're backward. Yes. Yeah.
0: That, that, and that's that's what when when we think about, for example, the caliphs, when we think about the promised Messiah, I'm, I'm thinking about the promised Messiah and whom be peace in in his time. Or let's go back even further at the time of the Holy Prophet, Prophet peace, peace and blessings, blessings of Allah be upon him. him. You know the question about authenticity and likability. The these individuals were authentic. Yes. Authentic means that you have yeah, certain models. values that that you don't that you adhere to and yeah. you don't deviate from, which talks about social justice. which, talk, which talks about um, uh, timeless attributes, timeless attributes, right? Honesty, integrity, and all of these things. And in the face of any kind of difficulty or opposition, you stand by those 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 standards that you have. And. If you are aiming for likability, you will have to compromise at one point or another. When you think about politicians, isn't it, you hear the change in their tone. You hear the change in their viewpoints mm. over time. When, yeah, last yeah, week, standards. I think, wasn't it last week? Last, no, I was with Talib, uh, Brother Talib on Monday. We were talking about the Dutch general election and Gerrit Wilders, mm. for example. If mm. you look at some of the statements... Or even uh, Maloney in, in, yes, in, and, in Italy. Italy yeah. You look at their statements ten years ago, and you look at the statements now. It's the same retro. It's the same content, <laughs> but the language has toned down. Why? Because it wasn't popular. Because well, it wasn't getting to well, the people.
2: Well, ten years ago, only one year ago, uh, yeah. uh, Saker Sikhi- yeah, S- Sikhi- S- uh, said that uh, what's happening. Uh, what is what Russia is doing in Ukraine amounts to genocide yeah. and uh, only what a month or two ago when asked the same question about what's happening in Palestine he said we it's not my no, place it's, it's, it's,
1: it's not the politicians uh, place <laughs> no, to, no no his answer was Israel or the occupiers have a right to defend themselves no no, no not only that he said it's but not up to the
2: politicians to, yeah, to yeah, decide to make, whether." who it's else, gonna to decide? else is going to decide <laughs> why, why did you say something uh, a year ago no, then? but,
1: but uh, you know uh, I mean yeah. uh, Sakir Sama is known as Mr. U-turn now. even, so, so, even I think is 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 on just about every single of his policies. So so that's what we're talking about. I mean that's that's not authentic at all. But you make a relevant point about politics that isn't international politics, especially within well, I suppose internationally, isn't it now more towards populism, which is all about likability. They are they are uh, now mm. targeting that element of society who they want to be liked by the. Uh, the extreme element. I, I think it, they've gone one step ahead,
2: one step forward. One, exactly. Yeah. So they they've actually gone to the level of Machiavellian politics. Yes, that's right. I yes. think it, it is called popular pol- populist politics mm. um, uh, in common parlance, but mm. unfortunately, it's all Machiavellian, um, yeah. which is
1: which is a very very bad trend. It is without a shadow of a doubt.
0: So you make this extreme filter down in a way that is a- appealing to the masses. That's right. Exactly. Because right? it will
1: make them likable. Yeah. But. Again, um, it's it's you know, you can only fake it um, for a short while, because if you think about it, um, the and again, I I apologize for this. But if one was to look at the scenario we're looking at today, uh, three months ago, millions of people were talking about or talking up uh, the occupiers of Palestine, whereas three months down the line a lot of people millions of people have changed their minds and now they're thinking hold on no this isn't what we were told now what we see hmm. is changing Even many Jewish brothers and sisters exactly as well. exactly so which is which goes back to that the lies and the fakeness that was being promoted has carried them so far but now the the now things are changing now the the, the coin is flipping and a lot of people, have changed their tone. A lot of people are saying, well, now um, enough is enough is enough. And th- the fact is, from our point of view, as you so rightly said, doesn't matter whether they are, they are the uh, occupiers or the occupied. Um, a child is a child, and one child, death is too many. Yet we are here, and seeing people um, stay silent on 30,000 plus people dying. Hmm. Again, it's a question of, if I was to speak up for these deaths, will I be likable, or will I not be likable? If you bring it down to the, to the to the raw facts, that's what it's about. People are scared that the society we live in, we've actually pushed society to such a corner that people are worried that if I'm not likable, mm. will it affect my bottom line? Will I get that job or not job? Will I, if I speak up, will my neighbour start pointing fingers at me? Will 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 I will that's I be That's the reason counseled? why you stay quiet. Exactly. But then sometimes you have to take a stance. You have to stay. You have to believe in yeah, something. Yeah. When you when you start playing the likable game, then then you have to compromise hmm. your belief
0: system. Correct. That, that's that's what I was trying to say yeah. before, right? Yeah. The Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, for example, has said that the most likable of you are those who are best behaved, and if you have that, I mean, look, the 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 perseverance and the the integrity that, for example, the Palestinians are showing, and, and when yep. we speak about the political situation right now, they have not deviated from their beliefs three months ago and their beliefs today. It's mm. still wa <laughs> meaning God Almighty is is enough for us and He's the best of, um, uh, you know, the 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 protectors.
1: But what what did uh, what did brother journalist the, it it. Uh, you know if there's been one hero for me mm. if I look in this equation is that journalist why do I do yes mm. they, they they talk about how we you know dumb bombs yet mm. they can find precision bombing of people's houses where they killed his, his wife son. they killed his wife and yeah, yeah, they killed yeah. his young mm. children they killed his grandchild they killed his parents and then now they have killed his son who was a journalist too what was his answer he says this is this is meant to be this way and he what did he say uh, it, 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 effectively, effectively he said Allah, allahu god is sufficient for us mm. or oh, is god not sufficient for us he's <laughs> like yeah. that's what he, his answer was and he, and the next day he was back on yeah. the front line he, being a journalist he's an amazing, he's and his daughter he's model, only got yes. one daughter left
2: yeah like he, i think he's got a, another son as well Um, from what I heard I mean yeah, yeah, all sorts of information Yeah, my my understanding is that he he has one child but either way way, exactly he has lost everyone he has lost generations of people it's unbelievable how he actually shows up to work exactly but this goes back
1: to what brother Raza said they haven't deviated from their belief Hmm. they haven't suddenly changed their word and again you know he is true journalism he's not a mouthpiece for anyone Hmm. he is just reporting what he sees Hmm. yet in the world we're living in it's it's about who's paying you enough to to report what you are being told, mm. not reporting on what you're being seeing. hence propaganda. Hence why, you know, the truth is not being told. The truth is for sale. Whereas in this brother's case, he is being true to himself. He's not saying he's he could he could easily change his mind because they can say, you know, we're targeting you because he has been targeted and he's been injured. Yet he's back yeah. on uh, he's back on the front line reporting irrespective of what people think of him
2: brother isaac if I, if I can ask uh, you a question so the promised messiah has said that um and i'm paraphrasing um that it is god that you should be worried about yeah. um whether he likes you or not yes um and he also said something um, akin to um that the uh, the likes and dislikes the fame uh um and popularity in this world is 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 like dust uh on your shoulder it it, it evaporates yeah. very quickly again i'm paraphrasing uh, not his words my words but uh but you know that's uh, that's the meaning i understand from some of his statements uh so does that then mean that we shouldn't um that we shouldn't try to be likable, at all, to people. No, but it's how you're becoming likable. That's not a question to you.
1: No, <laughs> no, no, But I can answer you that. No, because you, you youngsters lawyer you, up. You, you youngsters lawyer up. You 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 youngsters try to bring up questions which are so answerable. You have answered your own question. <laughs> no, but uh, I, the, I'm just you're right. But
0: that that actually just when you started the question. I, I thought about one incident that happened in the lifetime of the, Holy, uh, of, the pro, uh, of the promised Messiah on whom be peace. Now, at that time, think about it as, you know, the these modern kind of social media battles that you, that are going on. Oh, I have a debate with him. He has a debate with me and I will destroy him. And that brings up your popularity, right? Yeah. I mean, these these great orators and debaters, that's how they work, right? Yeah. So in his time, I think it was a debate that he was going to have with Muhammad Hussein berdawi. Mm. On a certain topic. Now, hmm. the promised Messiah on whom peace, he came and he said, Well, tell me, what do you think? Right? So well, there's a question posed and he answered uh, and he gave his viewpoint. Said this, 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 this. Now, everybody was expecting that, based on the fact that it is basically a debate uh, and there's a bit, a bit of hoo-ha and a show that is attached to it, um, that the promised Messiah would say something against hmm. what Bertalli uh, was saying. And he didn't. Hmm. He agreed. Because he was quoting the Holy Quran. He was quoting the narrations of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And in everything that he said... There was nothing that he could debate. Yeah, he there said was nothing right, he could can... disagree. He said, yeah, he I, said,
2: I, I, I think he said that uh, this is exactly what I believe. This exactly, is exactly my belief so, system I
0: believe, <laughs> I, and I, I admit that he's right. <laughs> yeah. And people at that time were a bit disappointed. They were, yeah. they were upset that. Hold on, we called you so you can debate him mm-hmm. and destroy him, but he just walked off. they were and he waiting said, for agree. a matchup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I agree, and then he just walked off, and. He did not care about if people are going to like him at that moment. He did not care about his fame. He did not care about his popularity because, at the end of the day, he was doing it for the right reasons. And that is what I think we need to keep in mind. The question that you asked about what was the question? Sorry.
2: So, the question really is I mean, you know, this is a pretty much a life defining question. How should one. Yeah lead yeah. one's life
0: so i think when you follow these principles i don't think anybody has a problem with someone being genuine someone mm-hmm. being as mm-hmm. like we said you know or, uh, authentic. authentic and it might hurt or it might upset you for a time being but if you have that constant behavior throughout right that is something that is appealing to people because you have a constant in your life you have a person that doesn't deviate from his principles, that doesn't have different rules for different people or different uh, uh, groups in society, which is, again, what the Holy Quran says, that if you, when we talk about justice, that justice applies to everyone. It doesn't matter if it's your parents, your brothers, your siblings, your friends, or people that you know or don't know. If you have the same approach to every single person, then that is something that automatically, that likability, and I think people of of that status, people of that level don't really care because they know that will be attached to it one way or another. Because you're not doing it for a certain part. that Your treatment is same to everyone. And that, I think, will follow. That follows with it. The likability will follow. Because there's another narration of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that a person... So it, it's, again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. It's a link between that person, the Prophet... And God Almighty. So, if in the sight of the people, uh, the, the 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 narration is about a liar, right? It says that if in the sight of 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 uh, the people you are considered a liar, that chain will continue, continue, continue until in the sight of God Almighty you will also be considered a liar. But if it's the other way around, then it can have have a positive impact on you as well. So, if you stick to your roots, if you stick to your morals, if you stick to your ground, if you stick to your authenticity and, 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 your, and, and the integrity that you have displayed from day one all the way until the last last breath that you take, that likability will come automatically. This is something that we see in the lifetime of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. This is something that we see in the life of the, of the promised Messiah in whom be peace, where you don't conform your um, principles for the sake of anyone else. This is the difference between, I think, people of religion and people of 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 the world. One example in today's day and age. This is not not a go at at a specific faith or a group, but if you look at certain modern day, um, I won't say inventions, but trends that you that you have, mm. we've seen that pretty much every religion has has opened up, has changed the main beliefs and the core beliefs of their religion, except the religion of Islam. In Islam, people have tried to do it as well. So you have these inclusive mosques and you have these female imams and whatnot. Um, but the the majority of the Muslim world will, will say, no, this is God's rule. This is what God Almighty has, has intended. This is what we find in the Holy Quran. This is what we find in the teachings of the Prophet. And we will adhere to that. Come what may, you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter which times we live in, we will adhere to these rules, and people respect that. So, with respect, I think the 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 notion of likability comes in as well. No.
2: So, um, the the other question that I had in mind. Well, actually, I think we've got um somebody on the line. So let's maybe go to our first guest, who is Professor uh, Mitch Princeton and he is uh, the author of the popular the power of likability in a status obsessed world As-salamu alaykum, peace be with you a very warm welcome to the drive time show
1: thank you so
5: much happy to be here uh,
2: lovely to have you here um, professor on our on our show uh, can i can i ask uh, about your book first of all so uh, tell us a little bit about what popular the power of likability in a status obsessed world is about
5: It's a little bit of a warning um, that there are two different kinds of popularity. Uh, There's the extent to which we are likable. We make others feel happy and valued and included. And the extent to which we have status, we're seeking power and influence and dominance. Uh, One of those is really good for you in the long run, and one of them is really bad for you. And we seem to have, in the last few years, chasing the wrong one.
2: Right. So what's the psychology behind popularity? Why do we all want to be popular, to be liked?
5: Well, there's a lot of different reasons why the research is saying, but maybe the most fundamental is the extent to which we're finding that even our DNA will be expressed to Mounts a significant response at the moment we feel socially rejected really demonstrates that we are hardwired to care about what other people think of us and to stay good, productive members of the community. Um, It used to be a threat to our survival when we were excluded. Today, it just leads to a whole host of psychological, occupational, and even health outcomes.
2: So what would you say about the people or rather the phrase which has become rather more common these days that I don't care what people say is, is, do we yeah, mean when um, we say that?
5: Well their bodies don't um, you know our brain has a, treme- a tremendous response to being rejected or accepted we see surges in oxytocin and dopamine and we also see um, a lot of ways in which people's behavior are remarkably guided by what they think others approve of or uh, agree with even when they say that they don't actually care about how other people think about them,
2: tell us professor also how this this whole thing about this um, uh, this social media culture, this culture of likes uh, is messing with young people's minds. Do you think this is a good trend? do you think this is going in the right direction?
5: Well, social media could be used to help us cultivate likability. We could use the direct messaging feature or we could try and talk with people uh, that we meet online to develop real relationships. But unfortunately, social media tends to push us instead towards caring about followers and likes and uh, things that are really much more measures of status. And what we know is that those who pursue status or have high levels of status are at much higher risk for depression, anxiety, addictions and Relationship difficulties, both at work and at home.
0: Professor, is this this issue of likability, or or this running after being popular and likability, is that something that is is a fairly a new phenomenon, or do you think that has always existed?
5: I think that the kind of popularity we're chasing has really changed in about the past thirty, forty years or so we started moving towards things like reality TV and uh, the news has reported more personal stories over time uh, because they want to keep people engaged for 24 hour coverage of an event rather than just, you know, a, a quick overview of the event. And then social media, all of these factors have changed our desire to seek status and dominance rather than community and cohesion. And I think we've seen, A lot of ways that that's starting to affect the world pretty negatively.
2: Professor, um, do you think there is a contradiction between being liked
5: uh, versus being authentic? No. I think that the people who are the most well-liked are actually very good leaders. They tend to say what they think and feel. Mm but they do it in a way that's compassionate and is Mm. respectful of the group norm. In young ages, a little kid that approaches a friendship group and says what you're playing is stupid. We should all play with my toy instead Mm. is going to be rejected. Um, and similarly in a business meeting, a person who kind of is too forceful with their opinion and dominates over others is similarly going to be, um, having some difficulties, but we find that the most likable people, are the ones that lead by listening and including others and inspiring them to, uh, to, th- to think about more uh, new generative ideas. So they felt a part of
1: that. Professor Mitch, if I may just take one step back. Um, mm-hmm. What is likeable? How do you define it? So being likeable is the extent to which you're making
5: others feel happy, valued, and included when you're with them. People want to spend time with someone they consider likable. Um, There are all different ways to get there. You could have a good sense of humor. You could be physically good looking. You could make others feel accepted. um, You could be good at sharing and leading. There are some quick ways, though, to become rejected on the flip side, and that's usually being aggressive.
1: But isn't are we not living in a, at a time where the, the social media generation, as Brother Daniel said earlier, that they are prepared to be likable at the cost of their own authenticity, to compromise who they really are?
5: Now, I would argue that what they're trying to do is gain status. They're getting likes and followers, but not people who actually know them, enjoy spending time with them, Uh, or feel included by them, they're getting status and they're uh, being inauthentic as a way of just getting followers and power and visibility and prestige. And that, at at the crux of it, is the difference between the two forms of popularity.
1: But isn't popularity changing? I mean, there was a time, again, we all joke about my age, in my age, substance was relevant. It's the substance that was likable, whereas today... It's what you see, what's face value. Nobody goes into the depth. Nobody, everybody talks about the headline. Nobody really reads the story. Isn't, it hasn't likability right. become um, diluted.
5: Yeah, it used to be just a couple decades ago that being a, uh high in status was something that mostly middle school and high school kids cared about. Hmm. But by the time they graduated high school, we went back to a culture that valued likability above all else. In the last 20 years, that's changed dramatically. And social media is likely a reflection of that, if not a contributor. Now we never graduate from that high school kind of searching for popularity. We are seeking likes and followers and status uh, forever. We even elect people Based on their ability to harness that, um, so that's a huge change in our
1: society in just a couple of decades. You, you mentioned, Professor, earlier societal um, uh, standards, and do, would you agree that in the society we live in, ethics, morals, values, belief systems um, have been uh, are are direct are directly linked to um, being likable or not, or the or the absence of ethics, morals, values, um, and belief systems has, has increased this likable question?
5: I think that likability is still tied to acting in ethical ways, but I think that status, the other form of popularity, um, is really based on, in large part, the extent to which one is dominant or aggressive over others. And sometimes that means acting in unethical or inappropriate ways, because although that might break the rules and hurt others, it does signal a sense of being dominant and powerful to be able to do that to someone else without uh, beyond reproach. So we do see that status both contributes to that kind of ethical decline and the flip side, the ethical decline actually leads to more people seeking status.
1: I like that word you used, powerful. I mean, isn't that is what more relevant today, that if you are seen as powerful, you're more likable and you will get more thumbs ups?
5: Yeah, you you get more likes, but that's where social media is funny. They call it the like button, but it's not about liking them at all. It's about agreeing or wanting to appear as someone who agrees with that statement. It's really a matter of dominance and followers. Or and uh, and influence. Um, it's not about the way, at least for psychologists, the way that our science would define likability, which is about you know genuinely respecting, appreciating, and and um, wanting to spend time with somebody.
1: Now, you're you're director of clinical psychology um, at the University of North Carolina. Something we I was, yeah. I was discussing with the, my colleagues is, do you think this question of likability? Has increased the the number of people who are suffering for mental health um, in 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 the society we're living in. Are we creating a self inflicted um, uh, illness in in a younger generation?
5: I believe that that's a major part of what's happening. It may not be social media, and it might be. Uh, exclusively, but it might be instead the culture that gave rise to social media, which is one where we have more superficial relationships and we actually are expressing a lot more loneliness. Uh, research shows that loneliness is an incredibly problematic and concerning affliction. It is um, the lack of social relationships actually predicts early death, more strongly than smoking 20 packs, uh, 20 cigarettes, excuse me, a day. Um, it's a very powerful driver of our biological health, and we need to be paying attention to loneliness um, and the flip side, kind of how to help people to do well and feel connected in their social network. Um, as we should be teaching this in school as an important aspect of life.
1: Professor, what role does faith play in dealing with psychological issues in today's uh, societal issues, things like likability. I mean, we within, I mean, We're Voice of Islam and, and Brother Razama, he was also an imam, uh, was giving an example of, um, to the Muslim world, our our, um, our our role model is the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who, who we believe to be mercy for mankind and talks about um, and you know, it, it's about being a good human being, having ethics, morals, and belief systems. Role model, and 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 as as being the perfect role model, and 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 uh, th- there seems to be a, a way to deal with some of the challenges that get faced with within the Western society, where there is a lack of belief. Is is faith something that is used within the clinical psychology world to to deal with these these challenges? Or do you think there's a correlation there?
5: Yeah, there has been some research on the role of religion and how it helps people, kids or adults, in their mental health. And the interesting um, findings are that there are two ways in which it can be very helpful. One is, as you say, faith and believe in a higher purpose or value, or uh, it really can help with coping and help to feel a, a sense of alignment between what we do every day and that fitting our values but the second is actually engaging in religious practices usually puts us into a community with other people Hmm. where we have social interactions and the opportunity to interact with others and that provides a separate and also important benefit
1: now the 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 last point if, if i may you talked about uh uh, society and, and being good human being within the faith of Islam, um, you know, the, the Islam is broken down into two attributes. One is to, to worship God Almighty. And the second being, uh, uh, you know, you have to serve mankind. And in order to serve mankind, you have to be a good human being again, which goes back to uh, uh, always being helpful to others, which are all likable um, um, uh, attributes that humans must or, or most Muslims try to adhere to. My question is, has there ever been any research or studies where psychologists have ever tried to figure out whether people who believe in, in, in a faith and people who don't believe that there are disparities in mental health um, or likability and unlikability issues?
5: I'm not familiar with research that's shown exactly that, but there's more and more research demonstrating that, you know, if there's a fit between one's faith and uh, one's own personal characteristics, uh, for instance, someone who feels a sense of connection and community within their faith, someone who finds that it helps them through periods of stress, then that is, yes,
1: very beneficial to mental health. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Professor Mitch. It's been wonderful having you on the show. Uh, thank you for taking time out. I wish you a fantastic evening, head. May peace be with you, sir.
5: Thank you. You too.
0: All right. With that, we're going to go to our next guest right away, who is an Imam of the Amdi Muslim community currently serving in Austin, Texas. Uh, imam Qasim Chaudhry is with us on the line. Assalamu alaikum. Peace upon you, and welcome to the draft, I'm sure.
6: Wa Islam,
0: thanks for having me. JazakAllah, thank you so much for joining us today. Now, <clears throat> Imam Qasim, you've probably listened to uh, the uh, our previous guest and, and, and the con- the discussion that we're having at the moment. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is, something that, uh, is someone that I want to speak to you about, and he was an exemplary person for all people in all times. We've alluded to some of the incidences from his life, but could you tell us about some of the qualities that he had, specifically the quality of of smiling, and why what what did that create or cause in the people that that surrounded him?
6: Uh, absolutely, you know that's such a wonderful question. Um, you know, I want to go back to school for this one. Um, we would often hear our teachers say, "You know, you should smile more," and this is a saying that we all hear all the time. But there's another saying that's uh, very interesting, and they say that it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. Hmm. And um, I came across a very interesting study from uh, Michigan State University where they say that, you know, it takes about 47 um, muscles to frown and only 13 to smile. So, you know, we should be doing a lot more (laughs) smiling. And what's interesting is that the companions and those people who knew the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, uh, the most, they that, you know, we have not seen anyone who smiled more than the Messenger of Allah, hmm. right, than the Messenger, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So from this, we can quickly tell, right, from the people who knew him best that this was part of his um, character. It was a trait that he had, and on the appropriate occasions, he would smile. And, um, you know, you mentioned that, what does it do? It's, it's something that, um, you know, it, it was a beacon of hope for people. And again, there's science supporting this. And again, I came across a very interesting study from Harvard University where they say that, you know, even seeing a grin, not even a full smile, if you grin at someone, whether it's at home, at work, wherever you are, it actually re- releases dopamine and, you know, these good feeling hormones and increases serotonin levels in the brain. So again, we can see that you know just smiling how it positively affects uh, a person's environment it affects the society and again going back to the prophet Muhammad peace be upon him this is something that uh, uh, it was part of his character as part and parcel of his personality
0: So, exactly for that thank you very much uh, one one aspect that i want to ask you about is that it's all good and fine that when we are liked by the people that that we like or the people that like us or people that associate to the same group as we do. But the case with the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was, was a bit more than that. It wasn't just his followers, his companions, his family members that loved him, that liked him. But that extended to, to his enemies as well, didn't it?
6: Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it, it's so interesting. Like you said, when you like someone or someone likes you, it's it's easy to keep that relationship cordial and respectful and, you know, to extend love to that person. But we're truly tested and our character is truly tested when we are standing across someone who, you know, doesn't share, share the same thought process as, as us, when we're standing across someone who, you know, quite frankly, just dislikes us. And we know that in the life of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, there were a whole society whole armies of people who wanted to end his life. Now the question is that, you know, how did the Prophet Muhammad deal with these people? And I quickly just want to share a small incident, and, you know, it just shows how the Prophet Muhammad stayed so consistent in his morals, even extending courtesy to his enemies. Hmm. You know, it's narrated that a man by the name of Utbah bin Rabia, he was an enemy of the Prophet, And he came to negotiate with the Prophet on behalf of his people. And it's so interesting that the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, who, you know, he was a general, a king in his own right, and he patiently listened to him. And even though he did not agree to what was being said, he waited and he listened. And once Uthba had stopped speaking, the Prophet Muhammad responded, is that all you intend to say? And only once Uthba said that, yes, this is all I want to say, then the Prophet you know Muhammad peace upon him responded and this is such a vital lesson I think for each and every individual you know I'll take my personal example you know sometimes when I'm speaking with someone and I disagree with what they're saying in my mind I'm thinking you know this is what I'm gonna respond this is how I'm gonna you know rebuttal the person yeah and I don't I'm not really interested in what that person is saying I'm interested in you know defending myself we see from the example of the Prophet Muhammad that he was always there um Even if it was an enemy that he was composed, calm, and you know gave that person due respect
0: there's something similar to what we said uh, during the show when there's an incident from the life of the of the promised Messiah on no peace where he he went into a debate and he agreed with what his opponent was saying um and just walked off without without creating any kind of drama right there and then um yeah. So Imam Qasim from from the life of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him again you mentioned about the this his treatment uh, of of his enemies you spoke about the importance of listening to to people in conversations but then you always find people that you disagree with you always find people with adversity in general with, with, with people who have certain flaws that are simply against your nature, simply against they, it just doesn't sit right with you what, what, do, what do we do about that then?
6: Um, you know again it's, um, I, I came across another very interesting narration and you know, and the companions of the prophet they, they very clearly say that you know, the prophet peace be upon him, he gave attention He spoke and he showed love to the worst person of a nation so the person may feel he is being given special attention Mm. and this companion he says that he used to give attention and speak to me also in this special manner and what this does is you know it, it it breaks um that wall or that barrier that there exists between two people right and the prophet muhammad he shows us that no matter you know how bad it might be between you and that person There's always an opportunity for reconciliation. There's always an opportunity to, you know, better understand that person. And, um, you know, I I would actually like to share a very interesting, um, and I'll make it brief, um, an incident that happened during the life of the prophet. And, you know, this one always gets me emotional because it's so, um, you know, it it speaks so highly of the prophet's character and how he dealt with, you know, as you mentioned, those people um, who are completely opposite of him and have, you know, in fact, even wronged him. You know, uh, the Prophet, peace be upon him, his daughter, uh, has Zainab, may um, Allah be pleased with her, you know, she suffered a brutal attack uh, during uh, migration. And she was ac- actually expecting at the time, and she was wounded, and this resulted in a miscarriage and, you know, later fatal injuries. Now, the person, the, ass- the assailant, his name was Habar. And, you know, he was uh, initially sentenced to death, but he fled to Iran. And when the Prophet, peace be upon him, returned to Medina, you know habar he actually returned as well and he wanted to go and express his uh you know and acknowledge his crimes and he recognized that you know i was arrogant in my ways and but now the guidance of the prophet peace be upon him has brought it has changed me and he came to the prophet with a heartfelt confession and the prophet peace be upon him you know graciously said and responded that if god has planted in your heart the love of islam how can i refuse to forgive mm-hmm. you i forgive everything you have done before this so again it's just amazing to see that this is a person who you know murdered his own child his uh, grandchild but the Prophet still kept that door of reconciliation of forgiveness open and and you know that's that's just such an important takeaway that we can take from the life of the Prophet of how to deal with those people who um, you know we you know very candidly Mm -hmm. we just do not like them right they've caused us so much harm so that's something I just want to reiterate really
0: as well. Thank you very much for that. Missionary and Imam of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community currently serving in Austin, Texas, Ghassam Chaudhry, thank you very much, Jazakallah, for your time. And uh, to you as well, Assalamu Alaikum. May the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon you. Like,
6: salam Jazakallah.
0: And that brings us to the end of today's program. In the first half of the program, we spoke about housing shortage and if the government is right to threaten councils. As always, if you want to listen back to that conversation, uh, then go to SoundCloud, uh, SoundCloud, go to the Draft Time Show, Voice of Sound, search for it on SoundCloud, and you will find every episode that has been aired this week and in the
1: past. You know, we're talking about likability, and what people do is they sometimes get so desperate to be liked, that they look to please everyone, but remember, if you try to please everyone, you'll end up pleasing no one, no one, especially yourself. So, be who you are, be authentic, and finally, you know, be, be if you really want to be liked. Don't stop talking about Palestine.
2: Thank you very very much for that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, as we all wait, and since we started with Palestine, let's probably end with that as well. I think we're all now going to be waiting waiting over the next few weeks uh, with uh, bated breath as to what the court uh, comes back with in terms of the provisional measures South Africa has asked for. Remember, the, the merits of the case will not be decided by International Court of Justice for years. It, it does take a few years, quite mm-hmm. a few years, for International Court of Justice to um, To decide uh, on court cases like this um, going by uh, their previous track record. So that decision is not expected anytime soon. What is expected in the next few weeks is what the court decides in terms of the um, provisional measures that South Africa has actually asked for. And those provisional measures named are uh, number one, um, immediate ceasefire, and number two, holding Israel accountable. In terms of um, all the responsibilities that Israel has uh, as an as the occupant, as the occupier, uh, I should say, of the um, uh, of Gaza, and um, and and therefore provide food, water, shelter, and uh, provision of aid um, to uh, the people there. So those um, uh, that's the important bit, and that's what is expected to be decided upon in the next few weeks.
0: We're going to conclude with a, ver- with a quote of His Holiness, the 5th Caliph of the Promised Messiah, the current head of the Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masood, may Allah strengthen his hand. And he talks about and draws our attention to self-reflection and improvement. Reformation of every community starts with high morals. What is needed is patience and the best way is to pray with heartfelt compassion for anyone who is abusive, that Allah may correct that person. Rancor and malice should not be entertained. Unless you bring about change, God will not value you. God Almighty does not like that instead of the fine qualities of forbearance, patience, and forgiveness, there is barbarity. If you develop in high morals, you will reach God very quickly. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, has informed us, has told us that deeds are judged by motives. And God does not look... At our shapes, he does not look at our hearts, uh, at our wealth, but he looks at our hearts and the actions that we that we perform in this world. And there is no question about that. There's no doubt about that. That on the day of judgment, God Almighty will hold every one of us accountable for the deeds and the actions that we have performed in this world, whether it be you as a as a tyrant, as a ruler, or as an oppressor, or as an oppressed, everybody will be held accountable. Thank you very much for listening in. Today's programme was researched and produced by Tahirim Muzamil and Fez Yahak, so thank you very much to them as well. Thank you to our tech brother uh, to our brothers and the tech team. We will be back with you on Monday, inshallah. From all of us here at the Voice of Islam Studios. assalamu Alaikum, may the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon you all.